Welcome to TA1, everything you wanted to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, the legendary Randy Erickson. So today's guest is um, one of those guests that I didn't really know too well. I first met Graham uh, Tweetbird at the, in Costa Rica, followed him a little bit on, on the water actually, uh, the first kayak, and then after the race, we a bunch of people, Team Tech knew. Um, Merrill, a bunch of the media people went to a chicken place in downtown San Jose for a little post-race celebration, so got to know him a little bit there. But, uh, Graham's member of the Merrill Adventure Addicts, um, pretty good pretty good racer, Just came from a kayaking background and we talked about that a little bit, um, getting ready to do the Expedition Africa race in his home country and then we talked a little bit about upcoming worlds and you know has some opinions on world championships and altitude let's just say so <clears throat> hope you'll enjoy it and we all my listeners fell down a little bit this week so we don't have a tale from the trail shame on all of you but hopefully somebody's going to step up and we'll have one next week um just uh, so we'll give you a little rundown on what's coming up. Got some couple of cool interviews that I've done. We'll be be posting in the next couple of weeks. Um, then I'll be heading to Untamed New England in June. Uh, shout out to David Quinn and Tracy Robinson, who have uh, probably to their dismay have agreed to uh, pick me up and haul me up there. So thank you guys. Um, I'm going to be doing some coverage with Breathe Magazine. We're going to be doing a lot of, a lot of video pictures, reports on their live blog. Um, we're going to be recording a couple of things for upcoming podcasts. There's going to be a symposium the day before the race with some of the international teams, so we'll be recording that and probably putting out some, some bonus episodes. So um, stay tuned for that. So that brings us to uh, iTunes review. So if you like the podcast, can help out a little bit. Go to iTunes, give us a might as well give us a five star review as long as you're there. You don't need to write anything. Just click that five stars, and millions and millions of dollars will be coming my way. Uh, maybe we'll hope so. So if you'd like to make a donation to the podcast, go to PayPal and and uh, send it to uh, Legendary Randy Erickson Films at Gmail dot com. So appreciate any help you can get and once again you got a team a race you know gonna get married you need a photographer video guy don't have a lot of money <laughs> no I mean I meant to say and you have a whole lot of money yeah, let me know I can probably help you out with that so uh, our music it's at the end of the day in honor of Graham is it's a song called Bird by the Dead Can't Dance so uh, hope you enjoy the podcast. Who am Thanks I'm for speaking? listening. Hey, Randy, it's Graham. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? No, not too bad. Good. So, what was for supper? Uh, salad and wine. Eh? Yeah, doesn't sound too so, bad. I'm not a wine drinker, but uh, I bet you it tasted good. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I haven't had too much wine, and I can talk some sense to. Well, maybe it'll be better if you don't talk sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Um, so what were, what was your training day like today since you just got back from training? Uh, yeah, paddle this morning and then some gym for some core stuff and then uh, cycle this afternoon. Eh? Yeah. Sounds like a good workout. So yeah. uh, are you, uh, a strict trainer or, you know, do you have a, you know, a schedule and workouts or do you like to just go out and play? Um, uh, probably more, uh, yeah, I don't really have a strict schedule. Obviously, I uh, in my head, I'll probably plan what I'd like to do during the week, but uh, I take it as it comes, and uh, I'm lucky that I live in a, a nice part of our, our country, and I can get out and do uh, 
paddling, running, or, or cycling uh, whenever I want. Uh, so it's more just uh, taking, uh, you know, going with the flow and uh, what I feel like. Yeah, so it seems it kind of that's, uh, you know, I talked to Nathan Fave a couple of weeks ago, and that's the way he was. But then there's people like Kyle Peters, who's, you know, very structured in his training and really, really pushes it. But, you know, he's young, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's got to be some structure. Obviously, in my head, uh, I know what I need to do, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to get it done. Eh? But, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't sit at the beginning of the week and plan exactly what I'm going to do and when I'm going to do it. Eh? Um, you know, that's not a, not what it's about. Eh? Yeah. So you want to have some fun with it, right? Yeah, exactly. So, That's what it's all about. Yeah. If you start losing the fun, then uh, not great. Exactly. So how did uh, how did you get into adventure racing? Uh, adventure racing, well, I came from a, 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 a paddling background. Okay. Uh, I paddled uh, competitively for, jeez, I don't even know, <laughs> uh, probably 15, 16 years of my life. Um, I represented South Africa at a top level. Uh, went to 12 uh, consecutive world championships for paddling. So, you know, obviously I uh, probably got tired of uh, tired of that. And that's, you know, training for paddling, structured training in paddling became non-fun and uh, I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't getting the results anymore. So, you know, obviously then it takes away the enjoyment even more. was looking for a new challenge. I'd always looked at adventure racing as a the possible outlet when I gave up the paddling and uh, you know the one weekend we just saw an adventure race a sprint adventure race advertised and went and did it and I've uh, never looked back so cool so um so what kind of what kind of paddling were you doing <clears throat> the um I suppose what's it's probably more kayaking uh, okay. uh you know it's k1 marathon paddling k2 marathon paddling uh you know, at the at the top level, the, the World Championships, you compete over a distance of around 30 to 40 kilometers. Back when I was doing it, they still were racing over 40 kilometers. I think now they race a bit less. Um, so it was more the long distance uh, canoeing. Um, and then obviously in our country, we have a lot of long distance uh, river races and stuff like that, which I used to do. Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting because um, I've talked to a couple of people that have come from a a paddling background into adventure racing and my theory is paddlers make good adventure racers because nothing freaks them out because you got to be able to not freak out on the water yeah I, <clears throat> I can't say that uh, you know I'm a better adventure racer because of paddling I think uh, for me a strong adventure racer is someone who's got a, a strong mental capacity uh, you know where you've come from in terms of your background, whether it be paddling, whether it be mountain biking, whether it be running, um, I don't think that that uh, you know that's going to define you as a strong adventurer. So I think it's more about what's in your head and the ability to uh, to know that uh, the pain's only going to last for a couple of hours, and then you're going to be fine, and your body will recover, and you can keep going. And uh, I think that's what makes it. Uh, you know, whether the paddling is what developed it, uh, it probably is in my case because that's where I came from, but. A runner would have the same uh, development, and a mountain biker would also have the same development. Yeah, I think so. Except you, you've got to learn to make a lot of quick decisions in a hurry. Where you know a runner can can always stop and think about what they're doing. When you're on the water, mm. you never get that option to stop. So, yeah, I suppose I've never, I've never thought of it that way. I suppose you do make a valid point. So, you know, on river racing, we do we do get to make quick decisions. So maybe. You know, it makes the paddling slightly easier for us on adventure racing. But yeah. nowadays with uh, standardized boats and, uh, you know, in adventure racing, you know, coming in with a, a big paddling background doesn't necessarily uh, help you too much at the end of the day. Yeah, well, you know what I say, every miserable adventure race story starts with, I was in a Tomcat Air paddling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, when, so how long ago did you start? adventure racing uh i started uh, we did our first race i did my first race in beginning of 2004 a 30 kilometer sprint adventure race and you know then uh, from there through that year we did a lot of 200 kilometer 250 kilometer adventure races which were quite popular in our country at that time yeah. um did my first big uh, expedition race uh 
the Bull of Africa in 2005 and then moved on to uh, Primal Quest in uh, 2006, um, World Championships 2007 and basically taken it from there from on 2007 and been a regular competitor on the, the World's World Series since then. Huh? So, and have you, you know, always had race for Merrill or is that kind of a new, newish thing for you or? Uh, Merrill's been uh, our team sponsor since uh, 2000 and I think 2010 uh, or beginning of uh, towards the end of 2009 actually. Uh, Merrill Merrill came on board uh, as as one of our sponsors and yeah, it's been a great uh, super relationship with them and you know it's a great product. It's a great uh, and it's a great brand. You know they they uh, they call. Philosophy and their, you know, their outlook is exactly the same as what uh, our team and my, you know, and me personally. It's it's what we live for, you know, getting outside and, you know, just being at one with nature. That's what it's all about. Eh? Yeah, it's got to be nice to have that relationship with a sponsor and a sponsor that that cares about you. I'm sure that helps a lot. Yeah, it does. Uh, you know, there's a there's a lot to to sponsorship. Uh, as I'm sure, you know, most people who have sponsorships will tell you. You know, sponsorships not purely about uh, you know what results you're going to bring it's a it's about a relationship that you've got to build with uh, with your sponsors and it's uh, it's about what uh, you know what you can do for the sponsor and it's about what they can do for you as well and uh, you know ultimately there's got to be common goals and common objectives uh, that need to be achieved and uh, you know like I said we've been lucky and uh, we have a great sponsor they you know they fit well with the sport it's you know it's not a sponsor that's you know, doesn't have a product that really has anything to do with our sport. This is this is a company that has a product that fits in perfectly with our sport, with uh, with the three sports that make up adventure racing, and generally being in the outdoors. So, you know, ultimately it's a great fit, and and we're really happy, and and ultimately we hope that they're also really happy. Yeah, well, that's important. Sponsorships, one of those, just like everything else in adventure racing, it's always it's harder than the racing part sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it is, and uh, you know, sometimes I, I think of my full-time my full-time job more being the captain and manager of an adventure racing team than actually getting out and doing other work. You know, there's a there's a lot of work that goes in behind the scenes yeah. to keep a team together, um, and a lot of people I think don't realize that and don't understand that. Yeah, there's it. I well, probably everybody listening to the podcast understands. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, have have you had basically a core team the whole time, or do you kind of pick and choose and and you know go with whoever can can race? Uh, no, we've we've tended to be more more about a core team. Uh, you know, I think uh, adventure racing. The most important thing in adventure racing is uh, your core dynamics. You uh-huh. know, your dynamics in your team, and you've you've got to find four people that uh, fit together. Personality-wise, uh, in the deep, dark uh, dungeons of middle of the night uh, on night four or five, yeah, you know, and to find uh, four people that can do that is is not easy. And if you're picking and changing the whole time, uh, you're continually breaking that core dynamic. And uh, I've always been someone, you know, through my whole adventure racing careers, looked more towards building a, an established team and a, and a core dynamic, um, which I feel has also helped us in achieve, uh, you know sort of results that we have achieved through the years being more a, a, a team that is very strong on our, uh, how we work together and our core relationship than you know maybe being the four fastest uh, athletes out there um, you know at the end of the day you can have the four fastest athletes but if they can't get on they're going to blow themselves apart yeah uh, that's you know, in an adventure so. yeah I've it's my mm. wife has always been been you know jumping onto teams when they when they need a woman you know how that goes so and yeah. that dynamics but then again we live in an area where there's no adventure racers so if you want to race yeah. what, do you, what do you do so um, yeah we um you know the, the core team that we've worked with over the last couple of years you know none of us you know myself and Hanu live in the same town but uh, you know donovan and tatum who's been part of our core team they live far away from us and i think when you when you set up a team to start uh you know, your team needs to spend a lot of time together to build that relationship and that understanding with one another. But once you've established that and become, you know, friends and mates and you've got the trust and respect, 
you don't need to spend a lot of time together before you go to races. So we've been lucky in that we do have that relationship. So we don't have to be together the whole time. You know, we can we can just meet at races. Yeah. Well, plus after a ten day race, you don't want to see each other for a couple of months anyway, do you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, you know, having said that, you know. Uh, my teams have always been great, great mates, great friends, and uh, they're people I enjoy hanging out with. And they, they're people who, when I'm, you know, when I'm out there experiencing the wonderful things that adventure racing brings to us, uh, you know, these are the people I want to be out there with. Yeah, it's it's to me, it's the one really, really great thing about adventure racing is that it's it's really kind of a small family. I mean, there's there's not that many, you know, expedition adventure racers in the world, and and there may be out there, but I sure haven't found the, the the dick yet. So I hope I don't ever. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, you know, I let's see. I I saw you a little bit at Worlds. I think on the water on the first paddle, um, doing that, and then we had we had supper together with Technu after the race. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, okay, yeah. how else am I going to meet somebody from South Africa in Costa Rica? So it really is yeah. that 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 family dynamic that that's a part of it that I really enjoy covering and seeing and seeing how you all work together and even though you're competing you know there's still a lot of uh, respect there between everybody yeah I, I think there is I think uh, you know you've you've touched on it there you know adventure racing is not a massive sport to, you know in in respective countries or worldwide and uh, there's very very few people in the world who you have the uh, what's the word? The guts, the um, you know, the the confidence to go out and yeah. do an expedition race. There's only you know, there's only very few of us. Yeah, I think uh, there's only very few of us who understand it. And uh, when you go to the big adventure races, you're with people who who understand what your life is about. Uh, um, so it is always great to see those people. You know, obviously, there's a lot of people out there who follow adventure racing and and would love to do it and and put it on their list of things to do but uh, you know like i said there's not a lot of people who actually get out and and, and put themselves through an expedition adventure i so. yeah i think the confidence that word you used i think that's that's what adventure racers have now that you say that i mean mm-hmm. are any well okay some of you are or have been world-class athletes but most aren't most are just out there you know one foot in front of the other but for some reason they they know or they think they know that they can do 10 days of going into the unknown. So, you know. I think yeah, that will, you know, like I said earlier, it's uh, for me, the sport is about the mind. And, uh, you know, that's what it is. It's uh, knowing in your head that you can go for five days, seven days, 10 days. Uh, you know, yes, there's going to be times where you sad, upset, you know, hurt, hungry, tired, you know, whatever, but there's going to be lots of times where you're feeling great and you just got to push through the bad times and know that you can keep going. So once you've built that confidence, it doesn't matter how strong or how fit you are. As long as your head says you can carry on, you're going to carry on. Yeah, exactly. Of course, that is the hardest, hardest thing to learn. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it is. So, um, so just going back and just kind of keeping it, talking to people about it. What was, what was your world championship experience like? Yeah, I mean, I loved it. Uh, you know, that's that for me is the type of adventure racing I love to do, where it's, uh, you know, it's long. It's uh, it's about survival. It's about, uh, you know, thinking about your, you know, how you're going to get through the six, seven, eight days. Um, you know, we we've always been better at the longer races, where it's about, uh, you know, making sure you can get through six, seven days and come through strong rather than these shorter two, three, four-day races where it's more about, you know, a little bit more about raw speed. Yeah. But uh, so World Championships in Costa Rica took us right back uh, to what adventure racing used to be like in the early days, from what I understand. And obviously having not been around in the, the Ray Gawaz days or the Eco Challenge days, it was nice to do an adventure race that uh, Pongo and Antonio, you know, build as uh, taking us back to the old days. and. Mm-hmm. If that's what uh, it used to be like, I wish uh, all the adventure racing organizers could bring that back and we could race like that because I absolutely loved it. So. Oh, that's that's cool. Yeah, it's, it did seem like 
yeah i wasn't around in the old days either other than seeing them on tv and stuff and it yeah kind of seemed like a throwback race so yeah yeah so uh what was what was your favorite part of costa rica uh it's difficult to say a lot of people always ask me you know what's your favorite race or what's your favorite part in races you know i i can't ever you know turn around and and say and pinpoint and say this is my favorite part or this is my worst part or this is my best race or i've never been able to do that i think i just love the sport and i love getting out there um you know and i love for me i think the the major enjoyment and the the major highlight for me for any race is when i get to the finish line yes i'm uh, dog tired and i'm falling asleep and can't keep my eyes open and just want to eat food and Generally, I'm asleep within 20 minutes of finishing, you know, finishing. But it's that that sense of achievement, and it's that two, three, four, five week period um, that you have after a race, which is where those. Are, that's my highlight. It's just where, you know, you realize anything in the world is possible. Where, you know, whether it's a conflict at work, or whether it's a challenge at work, or a challenge in personal life, or a challenge in anything in life. You know, just you come out with this this aura of uh, you know anything's actually possible you just put your mind to it so, that's interesting yeah so um cool so um what are you what's your race plans for the rest of, for this year moving on well yeah this year obviously we've got uh, expedition africa in our country which yeah. is adventure racing world series race and uh, you know that's a very important race for us we you know, the Heidi and Stefan from Kinetic uh, put on fantastic race. You know, they're just really brilliant organizers. And, you know, we're not going to miss our local race uh, for the world. It's uh, And also race getting to race an expedition race in our own country is always special. Yeah. So we've got that coming up in five or six weeks' time. I'm not even sure exactly. Uh, 45 yeah. or 50 days' time. Uh, we're looking forward to that. And uh, it's, it's looking like it's going to be probably one of the most competitive races of the year. Um, which is also exciting, you know, to get Seagate out here, Silver, Tech New, um, you know, obviously ourselves. So you've you've already got um, teams that have all been in top fives at World Championship, and you've got other teams, our local teams here. You know, you've got uh, Sinosis and uh, the Collins brothers making an appearance. You know, having been out of adventure racing for a while, so we're looking forward to an exciting and uh, competitive race on our own soil. Yeah, did you do do it last year? Uh, I didn't last year. I okay. was uh, I had uh, one of my first major injuries of my whole sporting career at the beginning of last year, which yeah. took me out for six months. Uh, yeah. So I set uh, I set out last year Expedition Africa. I did I was there and did follow the team and, and did a lot of uh, sort of video posts and stuff. But uh, you know I didn't didn't actually compete in the race. The team our team competed. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't uh, they didn't end up finishing and, and withdrew due to injuries and, and problems. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we'll be back. We uh, our team managed to win the first two years of Expedition Africa in uh, 211 and 212, and obviously I did not finish last year. So, you know, we want to go back this year and put ourselves back up uh, at the sharp end of Expedition Africa. Yeah, um, you know, the team didn't finish last year. What in that? You know, that's not uncommon even for top teams to finish. Do you? Yeah. I mean, okay, so you didn't race last year, so you, you can't maybe can't quite decide. But do they look back and think maybe we should have, could have, would have, or or once the decision is made, do you just let it go and realize it it probably was the right decision? I think uh, you know I pulled out of one or two adventures in my life as well, and yeah, when whenever that decision is made. Uh, you know, there'll always be questions, yeah. you know, whether it was the right thing to do or whether it was the wrong thing to do. <clears throat> and obviously, you know, at the point in time, it'll always be the right decision, you know, when you're making the decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and there'll always be questions, you know, whether it's two or three or four hours afterwards or whether there's one or two months afterwards. So, you know, I didn't, you know, like I said, I wasn't part of the team, you know, our team that did withdraw last year, but I know that you know, the guys did analyze it a lot afterwards and, and chatted about it. And I'm pretty sure, you know, they they feel they maybe could have done things differently as any team would yeah. do, you know, when they yeah. when they make decisions to, to pull out of races. So, I, it, <coughs> yeah, it's hard, but I know my racing career, so whatever it was, <coughs> honestly, I can look back and say in 25 years, I never, never withdrew from a race and felt, like I shouldn't have later. So, I mean, I, yeah. 
I think it's just you just you you know. <laughs> yeah, you do, but uh, you know that the races I have, you know, I have not finished. Uh, you know, I definitely feel I could have done them differently, and uh, yeah. you know, maybe the decision wasn't the greatest. Uh, you know, in retrospect, but you know, hindsight, like they always say, is uh, you know, twenty twenty. So yeah. yeah, you just gotta you gotta you just gotta try and learn from the experience and always uh, go through all the scenarios in your head before the race, so that when they do present yourself. You know, hopefully you can make a decision that uh, you you won't question, uh, you know, in the months that follow, in the years that follow. Yeah. And that all comes with experience and, uh, you know, proper preparation and uh, listening uh, to the right things in your head. Yeah. So, so since we're kind of on this sort of a downer subject, sort of, how do you, yeah. how do you um, deal with a mistake in a race? I mean, you know, everybody makes them, but. You know, you made a nav error and you went, you know, three hours up the wrong re-entered or something. Do you do you allow everybody to throw a little tantrum and then move on with it, or how do you, you know, how do you guys handle yeah, it? I think uh, because we've been an established team and uh, you know, and we've and we've been with a core group of guys who've uh, you know understood and uh, know one another quite, uh, you know, quite. Uh, Quite deeply, you know. They, you know, we know how to handle those situations. We've also been a team that has made, uh, you know, some big navi navigational blunders yeah. through the years, uh, um, and you know, we've dealt with it. And uh, you know, ultimately, I'm always harder on myself than uh, than probably my team is because I'm the navigator and generally the one who makes the, the errors that costs uh, cost the team hours, or uh, as it did in Tour Eight, it cost us the result. Uh, mm -hmm. But the team has always been uh, fully behind uh, behind me, and uh, you know when when we do make mistakes out on the course, uh, be it ten minutes or be it uh, two or three or five hours mistakes, you know the team's right behind me. You know it's like okay, cool, great. You know obviously there's a bit of disappointment, but it's okay, cool. How do we fix it? What do we need to do? And we move on. You yeah. know, and we got to move on quickly because if you're going to sit on it for a you know a day or two or three, you just uh, taking negative energy into the race and you don't need that so our team is very good at pushing it straight out of the mind straight away and dealing with the solution as uh, as quick as we can now yeah sounds 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 like a good team to me so yeah. um, so are you guys going to go to worlds this year uh yeah at the stage uh, you know it's it's on the cards but okay. uh you know, I, I wake up some mornings and think it's not a good decision, and I wake up other mornings and think, uh, yeah, we must go. Yeah. You know, we went to, to Ecuador in 2012, I think, and, and we didn't have a good experience there, not because it's, uh, you know, not a well-organized race or anything like that, but just more we had a very bad experience with the altitude. Okay. And, uh, you know, obviously altitude is going to play a major, major role in, in the World Championships this year. and. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's something that, uh, you know, we believe the result of the race is going to be, you know, decided based on altitude. It's not actually going to be decided on, uh, you know, the team that's, you know, possibly the best team. Um, you know, you could have medics that end up pulling you off the course in less than a day, and it's beyond your control. Um, so these are a lot of the, the things that go through my head when I'm deciding whether we should go or whether we shouldn't. Uh, yeah. But I do know that, you know, altitude is... You know, I don't see it being possibly a fair race course. Uh, you know, it's you know not when you uh, starting and competing at, at three and a half thousand meters. I think that's what Quito is. So you know, the whole registration yeah. and all the days before the race, you're spending at three or three and a half thousand meters. And for someone who doesn't live at altitude, it means that your body's already suffering before you even start the race. Um, you know, then when we start the race. They're saying that we're going to spend more than fifty percent of the race above two thousand meters. So, yeah, 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 it's 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 going to be very hard for people who who live at uh, sea level or or you know at a thousand meters above sea level. Yeah, although I don't remember now who pointed it out, but somebody said none of the top teams live at altitude, so you're all going into it at the same <laughs> with the same disadvantage. Yeah, you know that's an interesting comment to to think of, but. Uh, you know, it doesn't make it any easier. No. You know, you like I said to you, the you know we went there in 2012, and you know within uh, I think within 20 hours of the race, uh, all of us were coughing up blood, um, and uh, eventually the medics pulled 
Tatum off and said she was not allowed to carry on. Um, you know, she was put on to, to oxygen and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, purely because we had we had raced at uh, you know we were we were sitting at above three thousand meters for twenty I can't even remember twenty maybe thirty hours um, trying to to actually do some sort of exercise and like I said to you you know we all just got hit with uh, with water on the lungs and coughing up blood and stuff so yeah cool you know great all the top teams don't live there but so so does yeah. that mean you know. 30 athletes in the top teams, we're all going to be coughing up blood. Uh, is that still a good, fair race course? Uh, you know, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I've got nothing against racing at altitude. I've just done Godzo now in a more slightly socialer team. And, you know, yeah, we went up to 2,500 meters from sea level. Um, last year in, in Costa Rica, we went up to two eight or 3,200. And it's fine. You know, you've, it's fine if you go... If you everything you're doing is mostly down about you know at sea level and and above, and then you head up to to altitude for uh, 10, 15, 20 hours, and you come back down. But when when you based at uh, 3,000 meters or three and a half, and then you start racing, it's just putting all of us at health risk. It's it's not a case of uh, you know we we all haven't got the, the ability. Yeah. So well, it's interesting to you know. I think a lot of people probably think, oh, you guys are world-class athletes. What's the big deal?" So it's, it's it's to me it's interesting to see these the different viewpoints and how how you guys think about it. I mean, it makes sense because you know you hear the stories: guys that climbed Everest ten times and the eleventh time they almost die. So it's yeah. it's, it's a real crapshoot for that. And that but those, yeah, and you know also when the guys go to altitude, you know, look yeah. at any mountain here that goes to any sort of altitude in the world. They're yeah. doing proper altitude sort of training and stuff. Uh, you know, d does it mean that, you know, we as adventure racing team now for the next six months need to to work on some sort of acclimatize, you know, acclimatization plan? You know, you know, does it mean we must head out to Costa Rica, or not Costa Rica, Ecuador, yeah. six weeks before so we can do an acclimatization, you know? Yeah. Not not many teams in the world have the, have the funding to do that all the time. No. Um, so... You know, I would love. I think Ecuador is a fantastic country to go and race in. I think it's. I think the race course probably is going to be absolutely stunning. But you know, for my for my opinion, I would love to see the race organizer and the World Series saying to, you know, saying, well, okay, fine, fly into Ecuador. We'll do all the race village and all the, you know, the pre-race stuff all down at sea level because Ecuador's got that. It's yeah. got the ability to do everything at sea level. When we start the race, yes, maybe they take us up to high altitudes for you know, 10 hours or 20 hours and bring us back down on a race course that, you know, can come down to sea level again. From my understanding, they have all of that ability to maybe put a race course together that, that does something more like that. And that that is going to be a more fairer race mm -hmm. as well as a race that potentially is not going to put, you know, 30, 40, 80, 100, 200. I don't know how many athletes will enter, but it's not going to put all of us, you know, at a health risk that ultimately could be, you know, beyond our control just physiology wise we you know maybe we just don't deal with it no matter what sort of preparation we do yeah. so you it's a big safety risk going into this and i hope i really hope that the you know the organizers as well as the the world series guys who've, who've actually made this decision uh, have actually put a lot of thought into that yeah um, but uh, you know time will tell i suppose yeah well that's that'll be interesting to see so um yeah Where's where is some place you would really like to race? I mean, is there any place that you haven't that you'd like say like, oh yeah, man, that'd be a really cool place. Um, yeah, I don't think I've really given it any thought um, as to you know, cool when when would race. I, I haven't actually. Obviously, I would love to do some more big long expedition races in my country, just because yeah. I think it's got fantastic ability and. Um, or fantastic terrain to, to put some big stuff on. You know, obviously I've just been to, to God's Zone now and it looks like that's a fantastic place to put adventure racing on. Yeah. Um, I've always wanted to go and do the Patagonia. Yeah. Um, obviously it's taken a break for a year or two and hopefully one day I'll get down there and do that. Yeah. But I don't, you know, I don't sit here and say, oh, cool, I want to go there, I want to go there. I more look at what races are on the calendar or, or pop up and, Say, oh, that'll be a fun race to to go and do, or it sounds like a great place, and yeah. uh, let's go and do it. Would you, 
it say so you had two two equally interesting races and one you've been to and one's a new one which one would you which one would you pick uh i wouldn't necessarily go to the one i haven't been to i yeah. would uh you know when i when i look for an adventure race to to do for our team there's a lot of factors that come into it you know firstly you know who's who's organizing what sort of reputation have they got uh you know do they put on a, a good race course do they put on a fair race course and uh you know, is the organization up to scratch? Uh, you know, those are the things you've got to look at. Uh, secondly is obviously cost. You know, when you're coming from a place like South Africa, you've got to look at uh, the costs, uh, you know, not just the race entry fee. You look at uh, the the travel the travel costs and uh, all of that involved with it. So, you know, you've got to weigh the two things up. You know, how much is each race going to cost? And then from there, if they end up being the same sort of thing, then you've got to go with your heart where you – where you feel you'd rather rather be racing, or, or what's going to be a more more sort of enjoyable race at the end of the day in terms of the whole overall package. Huh? Yeah. So, so, mm. um, so you've been racing for six, seven years. Do you think you think adventure racing is starting to have a little resurgence, become a little more popular? Um, yeah, I think definitely over the last two or three years, you've definitely seen a. A sort of a big upturn in the adventure racing world championships and the amount of teams that are entering those. Mm-hmm. Um, you know whether it's a, it's a major upturn. I think I think the race internationally we've just been presented with a race where you know all of us can go to and be competing on the same uh, same race once a year, which is now you know turning out to be the world championships. Yeah. So I think that's bringing the whole sport uh, a bit more together and bringing. A lot of the teams all into one place at uh, you know one point in the year, you know whether it's uh, more pop- popular or bigger than it was in the early you know late 90s and early 2000s when Raid goes was and, and Eco Challenge was around. I've, I can't comment because obviously yeah. I didn't I didn't follow it at that stage. But definitely over the last uh, probably since about 2008 2009, the sport from an adventure racing you know world adventure racing point of view I think is definitely growing. And, and becoming slightly more competitive, uh, which is great to see. Yeah, and that was something that I was curious about. Just from my point of view, I mean, when I started doing 100-mile mountain bike races in 20 years ago, it was a big deal to finish. And then somewhere along the line, it got to be a race. And to me, it looks like that's where adventure race is going. I mean, it used to be, you know, go out, slog around finish but now it's 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 becoming a race is i mean is that kind of what you're seeing yeah definitely uh i think the you know the title of world championship uh you know title of world champion obviously there's a bit of cash involved and i think just the passion i think you you're now getting you're getting that core group of people who you actually do want to compete in the sport and Mm -hmm they're bringing a lot of passion into it. So people are going out there and are, you know, are racing. Obviously, when you go to a world championship, there's probably only 20 or 30 teams who who are really in the race to race it mm-hmm. um, and, and are worried about finishing in uh, the top 20 or the top 30 or the top 10 or just to get through the long course. But I think you're also getting guys coming there because they just want to be part of this, uh, you know this top race uh, where everyone is going to, and be part of the you know the whole atmosphere and vibe at a world championship. So you'll get the other thirty or forty teams who are coming there to to tick it off and uh, and get through, hopefully get through the long course and and hopefully finish it. Yeah, well, and I'd, quite honestly, I think the internet's helping racing a lot too because I see how many people, you know, were watching at world championships. I mean, you know. Tens of yeah, thousands think, of people around the world are are being able to see what's going on and what's happening and and look at this. I mean, we're talking from the U.S., you know, South Africa and and doing all this stuff. So I think you know the sport is growing, but people are also being able to follow it, and I think that's helping a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's something you know I haven't really watched it on an international point of view, um, but it's something I've always watched in this country yeah. since I started competing in two hundred four. You know, I can't turn around now. You know, you know what's it? Ten years later, and say that the sport is bigger now than it was then. It's, for me, the sport is the same, the same size. It's the same amount of 
people competing now as there was in 2004. Uh, you know, we'll have years where there might only be 15 teams competing. We'll have other years where there's 40 teams competing. Mm. Um, and also, you you know, there's not a lot of people who are still racing now that were 10 years ago. So the sport gets a lot of uh, new people that come in and also people that leave the sport because uh, maybe it's too expensive or too time-consuming or too tough. Um, but there's also... In terms of the following, I think the following has definitely got bigger of the sport. Uh, there's a lot of people out there, though they don't have the confidence to go out and do an adventure race, there's a lot of people out there who aspire to to do an adventure race and they will follow it and they will watch it and they will uh, get heavily involved in tracking and uh, and uh, and looking at it from that point of view. So from you know from that side, I think the sport has is, is gained a huge amount of following. And on the international scene, it's definitely grown. There's a lot more teams that are traveling now. Yeah. Um, but I think that's you know more an indication of probably the world championships and where the series is, and maybe uh, teams wanting to get out and uh, you know be at these races. Then you know a huge influx of masses of athletes doing the doing the sport. Yeah, it 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 definitely seems to be you know growing. I mean we're we've got what four expedition races you know in the U.S. now or two years ago it was. Well, so we gained we've gained two in a couple of years, so that's not too bad. Yeah, that's excellent. It's very it's yeah. great news, eh? You know, kind of we've got such a small population of adventure racers compared to a lot of places in the world. So yeah, yeah. good for. Well, me. it looks like uh, we'll have to come and do a, an expedition race in the states again soon. Eh? You could. There's a there's you know, Untamed New England is a cool race. Um, the one in Wyoming, Cowboy Tough, is I think. This will be their second year, and they're they're growing, but it's a it's a very interesting. You may not like it though, because it's kind of high desert. <laughs> so we're talking <laughs> yeah. that altitude thing again, but it's only like two thousand meters, so it's not too bad. But so. yeah, two thousand we can handle. Yeah, but so how how would you tell somebody to get into the sport? Just uh, just go and do it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a, yeah. as weird as that sounds. You yeah. know, if you you know, if you can if you can ride a mountain bike for five hours, if you can run a trail run for three hours or four hours, if you can paddle down a river for two hours or three hours, for me, you're already an adventure racer. Yeah. You know, you don't need to be someone who's done 20-hour races or, you know, 100-mile uh, 100 races or anything like that. You, It's about your head, um, you know, and it's about convincing yourself that you actually can do it. Um, obviously your first adventure race you're probably going to suffer more than you will in your second adventure race mm -hmm. and it's only because your your mind is not used to uh, pushing yourself through that uh, that time, that amount of time you know, 24 hours, 38 uh, you know, 42 however long you're going to end up being there it's, uh, it's about convincing the mind that you actually can keep going uh, so for me it's just you actually just need to get out there and do it. Uh, put yourself through it, and then you'll understand that you can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't necessarily have to be a super, super athlete. So, um, so your background was paddling, but were you kind of an outdoors person too? Uh, I would think they kind of go say together. So. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, I was outdoors from the paddling, but yeah. uh, when I was a paddler, my whole life revolved around paddling. You know, yeah, I wouldn't. Okay. I generally ran 5Ks once a week, if if anything, more as a cross-training, and I didn't really enjoy the running so, while I was still competing uh, hugely for, for paddling. I did, you know, a big gym for, for paddling, and it was all about uh, structured and rigid and defined training programs for paddling. So I was out, outdoors in terms of I was yeah. getting out to do my sport. Uh, I wasn't outdoors in terms of... Uh, I would spend hours and hours in the mountains or in the wilds or riding bicycle or anything like that. Yeah. It was only only really in about 1999 or 2000 where I took up riding a mountain bike and uh, I probably only started running seriously, uh, you know, taking running up a little bit more seriously in the middle of 2003. So, you know, before that, everything was uh, paddling focused. So I've definitely become a lot more outdoorsy and uh, where the outdoors almost rules my life and it's my whole soul and my whole being, you know, since probably 2004, 2005. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of one of the interesting things I'm finding doing, doing this podcast is how people got into it. And it's so, you know, you were world-class, you know, Nathan Favey was world-class mountain biker. 
And then you move down maybe one one notch. And a lot of those people were outdoors people. And, and so they, yeah. yeah, they were in the mountains all the time and doing all that. And they moved into the racing. So it's interesting to see who's come into it from the racing side and who's come into it from the outdoor side. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is, and uh, you know, I go back to obviously what I said earlier. I think it's it's more about the head than uh, about your sort of uh, you know your outdoors background or this background or that background. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think uh, there's an adventure racer in everyone out there. It's just uh, you know, once you convince your mind that you can do it, you you're going to be an adventure racer, whether you've been on a bicycle before in your life or whether you haven't. You know, you it's. Just convince yourself you can do it, and you will do it. Huh? Yeah, it's a good idea. Um, so one of the things I, I keep kind of asking people what they'd like to know about racers and, and things like that. And one of somebody wanted to said ask ask racers what their favorite piece of gear has ever been. So do you have something that you've just loved, you still use, or use, or wish you still had, or um. Jeez, I don't know actually. Yeah. Um, I still got my, I've still got my first compass ever. That's. Uh, I don't know if that's if that's anything. My first <laughs> compass I bought in two o four, and uh, you know I wouldn't turn around and say it's a lucky charm or it's this or that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've still got that. Uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't say there's a favorite piece of gear. Or there isn't. Uh, but, you know, I think w- nowadays we know what gear works and we know what gear doesn't work, and yeah. generally we. We're just taking that with us. So we trust all the gear we've got. To say one piece is more favorite than the other, uh, no, I think everything's got its use. So probably my teammates probably be my favorite uh, piece of gear. See, you came up with a good answer. So how much much has stuff improved in the last six or seven years, gear-wise? I mean, has it been a big difference from when you started or...? We, it was pretty good when you started. Yeah, pretty good when I started, I think. Uh, you know, I can't, I don't think uh, gear's majorly uh, better now than it was in, in 2004. I think, uh, you know, there was good equipment in 2004. Yeah. Uh, there was good equipment in whenever adventure racing started in 19, whenever. Um, you know, it's, I think it's just a case of things have developed, uh, you know, that maybe they've got slightly better. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you still use the same sort of base layers that you used uh, 10 years ago. You can still use them nowadays. Uh, you know, maybe there's more brand and maybe there's more brands and there's more uh, more choice. But yeah. I think ultimately, you know, most of the stuff uh, is still uh, as good as it was uh, in 2004. Yeah. So it's not like when I started cycling back many years ago with wool shorts and wool jerseys we've come a long way since then (laughs) yeah i mean uh, obviously we can you know we can we can turn around and say obviously bicycles have changed but uh you know that they have you know bicycles have obviously got better you know canoeing uh you know i've uh, obviously we all paddle in these horrible uh, flat boats and stuff now and obviously you can hear i come from a paddling background but you know yeah, obviously those equipments will technology will will move them along, but your core stuff that you carry in adventure is, you know, be it a backpack and your base layer and your 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 waterproof jacket and uh, your space blanket, all of that type of stuff is similar to what you were using in 2004. It might be a different brand or, you know, or the the latest uh, top or the latest thing, but. Ultimately, it's all uh, pretty, you know, pretty similar to what it was in in those days. It's just a lot more brands doing it. Yeah, there's that. You know, we've been, yeah, we've been lucky in in terms of obviously Merrill. We've been part of, uh, you know, the group here in South Africa who's actually gone out and developed a performance range uh, for Merrill, where, you know, we now have uh, Merrill gear that we can actually do an adventure race with. Uh, I think in Costa Rica we we, ra- we raced with 100% Merrill gear. There wasn't a single item of any other brand's clothing you know in our packs and and that was from base layer mid layer to to outer shell so, so you know there's there's a lot of development happening in terms of brands being able to to now uh, you know now offer the products so, so and well so do you guys have a input into the into the their gear 
Oh, we did. We did because the, the performance range that we use was developed by the South African guys here. And obviously they're trying to, to now push it into to the Merrill, uh, you know, the Merrill's uh, uh, franchises or not Merrill franchise, Merrill distributors mm. worldwide. So, yeah, we had, you know, we had some input uh, with the guys that developed it here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's great stuff. You know, we're happy and we trust it. Ultimately, that's what it's about. You've got to be trusting whatever you've got with you. Yeah. That it's uh, going to keep you alive in uh, the dead of night uh, in in minus uh, in minus temperatures. Eh? Yeah, sounds like a good deal. So, here's the other thing that I find kind of interesting. What what is your guys's food strategy? Do you have do you have stuff that you bring that you particularly know you want, or is it kind of when you get someplace, figure out what there is and and to me, one of the hardest parts about racing is to know what you, what are you going to want to eat four days from now. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the hardest thing. Uh, you know, we don't have a particular food strategy where we'll say, okay, cool, we need to get this and we need to get that. Uh, you know, in our team, you know, the four of us know what uh, what works for us when we're out on the trails in terms mm-hmm. of what we must each pack ourselves to keep us going through. Uh, however long, long the leg is. So we're each responsible for packing our own trail food. Um, uh, and then in terms of transition foods that's in the box, you know, again, we uh, just enjoy walking the aisles of the supermarket in whatever country or whatever town we're in, buying stuff to put in the transition box. And yeah. uh, hopefully when we come into uh, the transition, we'll like what uh, we've put in there or the same with what we've packed for ourselves. Hopefully when we're out on the trail, you tend, you know, you'll like it. Yeah. But uh, as with all things, uh, you know, generally you're sick of your own food uh, after uh, two days on the on the race, and you never know what you're going to like or what you're not. And some races I'll enjoy stuff, and some races uh, the next race I'll hate. You know what I enjoyed the race before. So yeah, we've uh, we've always just rather gone for you know trying to have a lot of variety rather than you know trying to just stick with with one type of thing. You know, so at least you do have some options when you are, you know, bored or sick of something that is in your pack. Yeah, well, that just one of the many hard things to figure out before a race starts, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, it's something as well. You just learn with, uh, you learn with time. Eh? So, um, just, a, just a few more things I'd like to talk about here, but how, how nice is it that you'll be able to drive to your next race? Oh, it's great. Eh? <laughs> You know, it's uh, it's really awesome. But, yeah, I think the the biggest thing is that, you know, we can get to the race slightly more rested than, you know, we would normally be when you go to, to an international race. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it puts us at an advantage, I would say no, not at all. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, adventure races are amazing animals and they can get through the big long days even with all the traveling and anything. So, you know, for us, it's no advantage. It just it just means that for once we uh, we just have less admin to do in the in the week before the race. Yeah, well, and and more importantly, less admin to do in the six weeks before the race, trying to organise flights and worry about excess baggage and packing stuff up. We can we can pack it in a in a bucket in a trailer and uh, and drive to the venue. Yeah, that's probably the best thing. Is yeah, that that six weeks before so. You know, yeah, I keep I keep telling people a ten day adventure race is like three weeks long. <laughs> yeah, no, it's massive. You know, packing your your gear for an adventure race. Uh, you know, it's not only about the three or four or five days before you fly packing the gear. It's mm-hmm. about the the four or five months before where you're starting to look at the gear list and making sure you've got everything that's on there, and then ordering what you don't have and making sure it arrives in time, and then. Uh, distributing it amongst the four of you so you don't get hit with excess baggage and uh, there's masses of stuff that goes into the logistics and the planning yeah yeah so cool well i really want to thank you for taking the time and talking with me but i have one last question for you not a problem when you're packing for a race even if you start six months before are you still packing the night before you leave yeah, generally I am. And uh, no matter how, how organized you, you think you are and how organized you want to be to limit that uh, that stress in the couple of days before, it always ends up being a, a last-minute rush. Yep. I haven't, I haven't figured it out yet to 
to get to a, you know, a race or a couple of days before we leave and have nothing to do. No, as it, much as I do all the planning and everything, it never ever turns out like that. No, it never does. It's just it's nice to know that that seems to be universal. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It, uh, but it has it has got easier to pack. I must admit, but you know that's also because after years and years we we have all of the the gear now, so it's all in the box. So when we, you know, when we get kit lists nowadays, yeah. we generally have all of the stuff, and it's, it's not a lot of. Uh, pre-ordering and buying and yeah, stuff yeah. Uh, you know that needs to be done eh? yeah exactly so yeah well i want to thank you for for uh taking the time and uh i think i've i've been working let's see we're 10 or 12 episodes in and i've been working on some way to end the podcast so i think i finally come up with uh go fast and take chances yeah, <laughs> what do you think exactly yeah, is that adventure racing a- or not yeah, I think it is. Eh? Well, cool. I think um, more about uh, take chances and then go faster. I might e- that might even be better. So, well, thanks for yeah. talking with me. Um, we'll get this up. I think this will be up not this week but next week, and we'll put we'll put links in the show notes to all the all your sponsors and the races we talked about and all that kind of good stuff. So, good, and, good. Thanks. Just uh, yeah, mail me and I can give you all the stuff you need. Okay. And with any luck, knock wood that. I might actually even see you, see you there, but I'm not counting on it. Good, I hope so. So, all right. Well, thanks. Good, thanks, Randy. Okay, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Thanks a lot. Ciao.